Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik, today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back my really good friend, Fuquan Bilal. Hi, Fuquan. How you doing, Mike? I love your haircut, by the way. I forgot to tell you that when we were in Dallas last week. I like the, the new look. Oh, thank you kindly. Very uh, swaggish. Yeah, <laughs> my haircut happened. Uh, I, I, I went to a uh, haircut place here in Brooklyn. And I and I, I told the uh, with my son, and he did a haircut on my son. I told him, "Don't cut too much." He didn't cut too much, and I told him again, "Don't cut too much uh, on my hair." And uh, I don't know. He was listening to some music. He got into a groove, and before I know, good. he said, "The left side is a little shorter than the right side. I gotta I gotta straighten them out." And before <laughs> I know, boom, he he shaved about seven years off you. It looks good. Thank you. I, I, I maybe I need to sh- shave my hair. Uh, you know, cut, cut the hair more. Uh, <laughs> often to look younger so how are you what's 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 been happening it was great to see I'm doing you. good I'm doing good right now I'm actually in Atlanta I went to um to Macon today to look at 165 unit 145 unit building as you know we made a pivot in our fund we are now uh divesting all of the uh multifamily we have in New Jersey where it's cold you're a New Yorker so you know it's, it's snow and my guys hate it when they go to gotta go shovel you know, 80, 90 units. Um, so we're, we're divesting that portfolio and we're getting into a smaller multi, anywhere from 60 to 150 um, in the southeastern, southeastern region. And, you know, we got a 95 unit last year, July. We have a 64 unit in the contract. It's just exciting times. It's really exciting because our niche that we're doing is a little bit different than the institutional guys and the other bigger funds. You know, we're really just trying to create our impact what we're doing here in New Jersey now in those southeastern regions, you know, no one thinks about that 65-year-old tenant who can't afford that $200 rent bump, right? So that's the problem we're trying to solve, you know? That's very really interesting. You, you, you are operating, and before I forget, we'll, we'll switch, but I wanted to go back. Uh, uh, before we go to real estate, tell you a story very quickly to the audience. Uh, when I heard this um, uh, in Dallas when you were in a panel, almost shocked, you, you had a challenging life you you were shot five times and that's the best thing that happened to, to absolutely you. i always say that because it's those things that we go through in life that make us who we are and appreciate life so i mean i i worked in corporate and uh up to 99 i shadowed my cousin who was in real estate he made half my salary i was probably about 24 about to turn 25 at that around that time and i, I shadowed him around and i, I did a, a deal a few months later and made half my salary at the time i was a young kid making like eighty-five thousand dollars a year and um i was able to do that in three months time so i started writing on the wall put my two-week notice in and where i went where we were investing was the community where we come from i'm from north new jersey which you're familiar where the airport is at one of the major hubs but it's it's when i grew up in the 80s it was a bad area i mean it's still some pockets that's bad but they made a lot of changes especially the downtown area but the section I grew up in was a little rough, you know, drug infested and everything else. That was what we were exposed to when we were younger. I was fortunate that my mom, you know, installed discipline into us and kind of sh- sheltered us away from that, um, from the community into like, you know, how they have like the Jewish schools. We had like the Islamic schools and stuff like that. So we, we were in that community. That was our family. But growing up through that, you know, creating friends through that when I when I got back into real estate, it gave me the feeling of importance to go back to those communities because a lot of blighted, dilapidated properties and make repairs and renovation. And plus, that's the only uh, footprint that I knew. Where can I go 
and do real estate at. And that's where my cousin was at. The short of it is we started doing renovations, hiring local people in the area for demolition. And it was an inside job, basically. I was, you know, set up and basically, you know, they came in because we used to pay cash. We had already made payroll early that day on the site because it was my cousin's birthday. And, you know, it was a botched robbery. And through that process, I got shot five times. Oh and I, I say that it was the best thing that ever happened to me because at that time I was a young kid and really didn't understand the value of life. I took everything for granted. Um, and, and really, it just kind of made me go deeper within and realize things that people take for granted, like tying your shoes or the simple stuff, right? And that's when it all started for me. And then I said, that's the best thing because I worked from home the next six months. And I actually, that year sold 34 properties. It was exciting time. You know, it was 2001, we're talking March 30th, 2001 has happened. And by the end of that, by September, I had sold 34 houses, 36 houses, something like that. And that was the most properties I sold in one year since I started, because remember I started in 99. So fast forward two and a half years later, you know, I sold like 34, 35 properties, you know, 50,000 a pot we were making somewhere like that was a lot of money for me as a kid. So that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And then I rode the wave and you know what happened in 2008? I was on the front side of it, on the front line of it. I wasn't a part of any communities, masterminds, getting stuff from economists and all the stuff that we get now being a part of these groups. And I, I took a big hit. I lost a lot of my money. Um, I had went through a divorce. I had 54 employees, these businesses, and I literally had to start all over again. And that was another life-changing moment for me. But through those two experiences and then 9-11 happened actually, uh, not, I, and I got shot in March of 2001, 9-11 happened in September, and then 2008 was another event. So those three things that happened during that time span really shaped and molded me to become a, the better person I am. And I'm grateful for that because I don't take things for granted. I'm truly grateful for all the relationships I create. All those investors that were along with me when the market crashed, I still have some of those investors that invest with me today. So, you know, it's a true testament of creating real relationships and the meaning of that. Thank you for sharing. Uh, that, that's, that's a great wisdom. And um, yeah, uh, it, there's, a, there's an expression, whatever doesn't kill you, make you stronger. And thank God those five shots didn't kill you and made you substantially stronger. And obviously uh, you are where you are today based on learning the lessons from, from, from those uh, challenging days. Now let's go back to Atlanta. So you, you, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, you, you shared some great wisdom and, and it was a, it was a great um, deviation from the real estate opportunities today. So uh, why Atlanta? Obviously Southeast is, is, is a great market uh, in comparison to some of the, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you're observing that the tax rates are in Atlanta, just a little bit, a little bit, lower than new jersey which is it's a, a lot country, but a little bit mike it's, it's a lot, more than half that's a lot so yeah, yeah for it, me it's really um i actually focused on alabama first because everybody was in atlanta atlanta is on is hot is on fire 115 to 127 130 a door for some stuff that they're calling b class that's really c class right i grew up in those areas in newark new jersey so when i come to an area in atlanta that's the hood i know what the hood is but they're calling it on paper on a performer b class because it's 10 minutes so away from the airport you the know? rough area is a trading 120 130 000 a door 115 120 yeah yep 100 so i'm like be I'm before, before innovation I mean, right before rehab that's yeah, they're selling it on what you, you know, these things are sold on future 
Oh future profits, right? You we're getting this all relative, right? The, the times yeah. change. So, but yeah, what, what, what was before twenty thirty thousand dollar a door? Now it's it's one hundred fifteen, one hundred twenty a door. Yeah. So they're giving you a performance based on what you can do once you get in and turn a rent over and make your improvements on two years. And I'm like, no, I want to buy off of what you're collecting now. Like, <laughs> you know, that's what it's worth, not what I can do. So you want to profit off of what I could pinch essentially, what I have to do. So. I focus on Alabama, though. That's really where our footprint is at, is in Alabama, because I saw everyone going to, like, the Sun Belt, you know, going, like, the hot areas, Atlanta and everywhere else. So Florida and other places. So let me focus on where too many people is really not in that section of that space that listed. I know, like, Birmingham, uh, you know, certain areas like that. So we planted our flag there first. We found some product there started creating relationships with brokers, started going into the city and finding out what the needs are. That's kind of the type of investment that I do. Even in New Jersey, I go to like the community meetings and I try to see what is the need the city want, if it's affordable housing that they have an issue with, how can we solve that? How can we use our skill set to solve that issue? Then a reciprocity factor kicks in. You create relationships, you get leads, you take down those leads. For example, the 95 unit in Gazin that we got is a retirement town that people have the mindset, but they're doing a lot of construction around there. Um, the Goodyear plant shut down where the majority of the workforce was at, so no one wanted to go in and invest in that area, but they're building up a lot of the, the, um, the retail stores and everything, and this property in particular was vacant for about six years. We were able to get this property, Mike, for 6000 a door. It's a heavy lift. Wow. When I purchased it, the ARV was 63,000 indoors, 30,000 plus a door rehab. ARV is 63,000 indoor. Now it's at 75, right? Because of where the market is at. And they do a more development in the area. And, and uh, actually, um, uh, Amazon just came into a, a plant somewhere like in Birmingham, which is like 40 minutes away. So there's more things that's coming that's going to make it more valuable. So those are the things we look at, things that are distressed. In the area we can go in and add value, solve the affordable housing crisis. And back to what I was saying, nobody's thinking about that 65-year-old person who can't afford that $200 rent bump. So what we're doing is keeping a percentage of our rentals for low income. So we can kind of solve that low income section aid of bad women and children, whatever it is, they can afford it. And then the other portion of the, of the uh, units, we can increase rents on that and still pay our investors a healthy return and solve two problems, right? We're making a healthy return and also we are helping the community at the same time. So that's really what our mission is, wherever we go to invest in these multifamilies that we're transitioning into. That's only one part of our fund. That's long-term five, seven year play. The other part is the fix and flips that we do still only in New Jersey, where I've been investing that for 23 years, where we have all the resources, contract relationships and everything. And we kind of moved up a little bit from the affordable home only because you know there's no product on the market not a lot. So everybody's fighting over the low hanging fruit, the $350,000, anybody can afford that, right? Because money is cheap. So we're now we're buying stuff for maybe somewhere around 450, 500. We can put 100 into it, 150 and sell it for a higher amount. But we still can make a decent, you know, 15, 20%, sometimes if we're lucky, 25% return. So that's pretty much the assets that we have in the fund now. Rental income, hedge against inflation, um, and also, the fix and flips for liquidity. Very cool. So fix and flip makes total sense, obviously, uh, in today's environment. And, and it's kind of a related question to both, because if you're doing value add in the South where you're doing fix and flip here, you're dealing with substantially inflated 
cost of material and labor. Um, so how, how are you managing this? And the other quick question, um, typically the 60 to what, 150 doors, the economy of scale in theory kicks in over, some people say 70 units, some people say 80 units, there's no, but 60, 70, 80 units, you're barely there to, to, to make the economy of scale work. Um, how do you manage uh, these type of properties uh, being in New Jersey, the properties in Alabama or Georgia? Um, the economy of scale is a challenge. So how do you deal with the escalating costs of construction, uh, materials, labor, and um, just remote management if you're dealing with properties that far out? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So the word you just used, what well, the words, economies of scale is how are we solving that issue? So for example, in Alabama, we have a broker in the, in the north end, the Birmingham area, and we have a broker in the south end of a property management company in the south end, like Phoenix City is where the 60 unit, 64 unit is at. Now, when we target those areas, we're saying, okay, if we when we buy other things, we're going to pin them up where they're no, long, no more than four or five miles away from the existing property. So the same management company can manage those same properties. So eventually, if you're buying 60 unit, 40 unit, 70 unit, 100 unit, it's managed by the same company. As long as they're not more than five mile radius away from each other, you can use economies of scale to solve that problem. Same thing. If I'm like, I was now just looking in, in Macon, uh, you know, I was looking at something, uh, something else in another part of Atlanta. So if I go in Atlanta and I go an hour and a half out from the town Atlanta, right? I fly into Atlanta, everything else an hour and a half out is where I'm buying, whether it's south, east, west, north, and that's kind of how we, we plan our flag and use the economy to scale situation, finding brokers in that area where we buy smaller units, they can manage those on and just add those on also. But brokers are not property management. They're property managers. A broker is, for example, Remax. They have property management services. Like in the South, you find brokers also have more real estate brokers provide the property management operation. Absolutely. So they do renting, turnover, and also property management. That's what I've been experiencing in the South. In the south. Most of the management companies are brokers that sell the properties because they that's how you get leads also. That's how I've been generating my leads, by driving past the buildings, calling the broker who's managing it. They're doing the turnovers and I'm finding off-market deals that way. And if I buy the deal from them, I'll leave it with them. And then I'll have my in-house asset manager slash property manager person manage them. So that's journey how that, that's works. very clever. That's very smart. That's that's and I absolutely love your do good mission, which which is important that you're not just uh, investing to make a profit, but you're also investing to do good to help the community. And um, yeah, I mean you can get to the especially small town mayor, maybe lo local uh, councilman to uh, to tell them you're here to make a difference, not not just to come in and make a profit. So absolutely, and it touched on what you were talking about labor and materials because we all know that's an issue in our in our business also now with the war going on and shipments and everything else warehousing product right so there's another foot mastermind we're part of cg i got one of the tips from one of the gentlemen that does ground up construction in philly over a few years ago where they were warehousing product i saw a presentation where they have it tied into their crm every time a piece of materials move it updates in the system they can now over jump the vendor and go directly to the manufacturer and buy. Like for example, we're doing 22 rehabs right now in New Jersey. That's X amount of windows. So instead of dealing with the local guy who we deal with, we go over his head over top of him and go directly to the manufacturer and get pricing that's 40% cheaper because we're doing economies of scale where now we can warehouse this stuff and, and basically 
cutout cost that it would have cost us just by buying from the retail vendor. Same thing with the labor force. These contractors that I'm dealing with, I have like real relationships with them. I know their families, you know, there's, there's Glenn, I, buddy, I, I was always say, Glenn always said, there's two things you need to do in this business. Keep the investors happy and keep the tenants happy. I like to add on three, keep the contractors happy because those, that's your network, right? Those are the people you're dealing with. You keep your investors happy. You keep your rent, your tenants happy. You keep your contractors happy. Now it's not going to be a perfect world. You're going to have different challenges that you go through. But if you have that in mind and you have your team have that in mind, providing excellent customer service and support, you know, you can manage. Yeah, it makes total sense. I, I'm just going to comment from the point of view, we, we are working on a very large um, project uh, in Indianapolis with the same institutional quality sponsor. Uh, and it's over 1,200 units in a single property, large, large property. And um, uh, it's exactly what he said. He has his own warehouses. You have to have, when you are a big operator, you obviously have your own warehouses and you store your materials and then you buy in bulk. Uh, the same concept can apply to smaller projects. As long as you can, you can have two, three, four, five properties in uh, the same area, more or less. You could, you could, you could buy in bulk. So you, you're using the best practices from a big operator on a smaller projects, and um, uh, the uh, the labor. What's really important is you have continuity, right? If you they work on one project and you get them to work on the next one and the next next one and pay them well, and obviously now during the inflationary environment. Um, you you got to be able to raise uh, people's pay to, to keep good people. That, that's one thing I observe nowadays in construction. Uh, they're a little bit, what's the word for it? Relationship matter, but folks also, you know, they, 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 they do need to feed their families. Absolutely. So as, as the, you know, competitive projects um, pay them more, they'll go where the, the pay is a little bit, a little bit higher. So you got to be sensitive to, um, you basically have to you have to, you have to build in higher cost to pay because he's it was rather a very interesting comment that I was talking to the sponsor was that um, some of the costs when our projects are increasing I said why he says well because we hire the best people and we pay them well and it's very important if you don't do that you you, you can't get quality for, uh, and one high quality employee or a contractor could be worth a lot more than a few folks that do so so work and then you got to do rework. So it makes all the difference to get the best people, right? Yeah, correct. I mean, it also is based on volume too. If we can commit to giving these guys, you know, if I have three or four plumbers working with our general contract and we say, look, we got 22 projects, we're going to give you six, we're going to give you six, we're going to give you the rest, you know, you're guaranteed to get these pro properties if you give us this pricing. But if you if we can't come to terms, maybe we'll just give you two. We're still going to keep you busy, but we're looking for people to work with us on the economies of scale. So that's why I said that those words you mentioned plays a very big part with labor force and materials. I mean, and when you're negotiating anything, you know, if you're giving them work that's going to keep them busy to feed their family, would you rather have a big paycheck now and then don't have consistent work? Or would you rather know you have work for the next, you know, 10 months in a row back to back? Yeah, safety, of course. But the other crazy thing that happens, if you give them really more work, you should get discount, but it can also mean higher pricing. <laughs> Because it's yeah. an interesting phenomenon that happens. Because you, you, the more you, the more projects you have, the more kind of management you have to have, and, and you end up actually costing a little more. Um, but let's go back to the other opportunities that you're seeing. So you're moving south. You're not taking any more in New Jersey, or other than fix and flips. Uh, and you, you, you're working in a smaller 
uh, towns. You're, you're staying away from the bigger towns. Uh, are you finding uh, good deals just because of your good marketing, your relationships? And um, what do you see happening with, uh, with, with rents? Are the rents likely continue to, um, you know, you see, you see the rent improvements over the next few years. We, 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 we're still, you know, we're still in pretty heavy inflation period. Is inflation, inflation in your view, going to continue? Uh, what are you seeing out there? What, what's your observation? And are you making decisions uh, based on um, projected higher inflation, or do you think things are going to come down and things are going to slow down, especially in small-town America? Yeah, it's a great question also, because actually like today, um, we did the analysis. It pencils out a cash flow um, based on the risk-adjusted. Uh, metrics we put in place. So my purpose today was coming out and meeting management, right? So I met with management and I asked the, the lady today, I said, look, because the, the property manager who's her boss, like, yeah, we, we got these 20 new units because they had a fire and they just redid 20 units, brand new LVT floor and everything. And he said, hey, we can get 875 for these two bedrooms where the other units, we're only getting uh, 685 for the two bedrooms. So we can bump it up another 195 bucks or whatever it is. Uh, because they're brand new units. And these are really nice stainless steel appliances and everything. So I said, well, how long would it take you? Because the performer, you're matching getting all of these units up to that rent over to uh, over the turnovers. And I asked the, the young lady who actually deals with the tenants who have the relationships and she lives on site in one of the apartments. I said, realistically, how, how do you think um, you can achieve that with what you just said, with inflation and, and people having struggling and everything else, COVID? She said, I'm going to be honest with you. I think I can take them up another hundred bucks. And that was exactly what we underwrote. So really getting that information boots on the ground from the staff that worked there and speaking to some of the tenants in the parking lot. That's one of the things that I, well, I'm probably sure other people do that as well, but I throw the Timberland boots on, I come out and I stand at the bus stop. I talk to the local people. I go to the police station. I go to the fire department. I do more than just the data, you know, the sensory data and all that stuff. I come in and I do real ground on the boot people due diligence and get my information that way. And then make sure I have my numbers and my underwriting that makes sense where I can reach my projected performer. And I've been finding out, well, you know that you can't go out the performer. There's always a bunch of lies. You know, you have to go off of what you put together where it makes sense. So when you give it to a lender, it kind of makes sense. And plus, when you show investors, if you go above and beyond that, then you're a superstar, right? If you say, hey, we're going to bump rents up 100, but we wind up taking them up 140, 150, then, you know, it makes us look better. So that's kind of what we do to, to, to find the metrics and what we need to make to find out the deal makes sense, so to speak. So all this is great wisdom. And, and uh, how, how many deals do you reject? Uh, for oh, we kiss a lot of frogs, Mike. We kiss a lot of frogs. <laughs> we kiss a lot of frogs. I probably underwrite on a monthly basis. I would probably say maybe about twenty-five deals on a monthly basis, and we probably only—I probably only fly out to maybe look at one or two out of that. That pencil out and makes sense. The performer looks right. I start doing due diligence, poking around, asking questions, calling other property managers, getting some realistic numbers. You know, and if, if it's around when I'm flying out, I'll drive by and get a fill of the area, speak to some people at the bus stop. Hey, you live at this building? I was thinking about moving here. You know, I throw my disguised clothes on. What are they charging for rent? I'll call, you know, go to other property management companies like I'm a tenant, ask questions, you know, the whole due diligence stuff. And that stuff don't pan out. You know, these guys are selling off of what it can be in the future. 
And I, I like to buy off of what I can buy now. If it's value, I'll give the owner a little bit more. But, you know, I want to buy off realistic numbers. So that's how we do it, which is probably a little bit more work. I'm used to that from buying second mortgages, which is a whole other strategy we used to do. It's much more work and due diligence than that. So I just applied those strategies into the multifamily, just going above and beyond to find all the information. I'm an investigator, basically, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a great skill. It's absolutely a very powerful skill to be um i could never do this because yeah, I, i'm i'm a, I'm a, I'm a math geek. I, 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 I can work with numbers i i can't go to the property if i go to the property I, I wouldn't know all the questions to ask and you know how to walk around the neighborhood and pick up something that well this is not necessarily a good area because this is you, you see you could probably see if somebody's uh you know doing something that i supposed to in an area and you can you can quickly figure out as much as it looks pretty on this side on this side there's some, you know, uh, activity going on that you really don't don't want in your apartment complex. Mm-hmm. It so. was funny. I went with my brother, uh, drove with me today, my younger brother. We went because he lives in Hampton. Um, Macon is about 40 minutes away from where he's at. We jumped in the car. We drove down there. We went to see one building first, 165 unit. Nice building, class B plus building. Um, and that was the one where the property manager told me she make him push. She, she confident about 100, but not 200 on existing tenants. But the new one's no problem. We went to go see another one that was four miles away. And as soon as we got maybe like three and a half miles away, we got to the area. I told him when I was in the car, I was like, All right, this is a, this is going to be different. I can sense something is different about this. And he was like, well, how, how, do you, how can you sense that? How can you just tell? You know, I said, well, you know, if you go from one area and you have a feeling things that how to look of it, you see potato chip bags on the ground or soda bottles. People really don't care. It's a mindset thing. By the time we got to the complex, I was actually true. You know, the, the building itself was nice. It was clean. It kept the maintenance. But some of the tenants that was there and the challenges they talked about they were having with them, I was able to sense it before I got there. My spidey senses kicked in. So having that skill set from where I come from, having that street smart plays a lot, um, you know, in this in this space. Yeah, you, you have the ability to kiss the f- f- frogs with your eyes. Yeah. You can see, you see those frogs before you, you even come close so uh that's great so for fun uh how would folks get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out ask about your fund what's the website what's the just a little bit of that absolutely you can catch me on social media at fuquan below i really am really transparent which is one of our core values of all the renovations and stuff that we do um you catch me on instagram facebook my email address is f at nngcapitalfund.com our website is nngcapitalfund.com you can go there schedule a discovery call love to talk to you thanks for having me on the platform i really appreciate it mike thank you for Quan. and uh you have to what is a trademark or, or copyright your expression the best thing that ever happened to me i got shot five times <laughs> it, it sounds crazy but it, this is very you can write a book like literally you could write a book on that subject so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I do have three books. You guys can go to Amazon, put my name in. You'll see the three books I talked about. The favorite book I wrote was called The Tire Kicker. It's a pamphlet. It's a few pages, motivational book. So if you guys get a chance, you can see that as well. Thanks again I- for having me on the, on the platform, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Fuquan. Thank you for sharing. All right. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.